Welcome to season four of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. This season, we're talking about teacher leadership and introducing you to teachers with all kinds of expertise. We're also rotating hosts so you can meet the staff who keep the Teacher Collaborative going. Here's today's episode. My name is Kat Johnston. I lead our professional learning work at the Teacher Collaborative. On today's episode, I'm joined by Christina Balcaran. She is a math transformation coach at Madison Park Technical Vocational High School in Boston. I first met Christina when she joined the Passion to Teach Collab for Innovation, which focuses on bringing teachers' passions into the classroom through project-based learning. Hi, Christina. Welcome. Hi, Kat. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So tell me a little bit about how you got into teaching and how you became a coach. So the reason I got into teaching and why I've stayed in teaching has really evolved over the years. I am a math coach currently, and I majored in math in college, but I wasn't always really good at math, which is kind of ironic. During my K-12 education, I really liked math, and I, I think at some points I was really good at it. But a real pivotal moment for me was in middle school when in the middle of seventh grade, my seventh grade math teacher left and the school was unable to fill the position for the remainder of seventh grade and for the entirety of my eighth grade experience. And so I didn't have one and a half years of math. So when I went to high school, I found that I was, you know, really lacking in all of my math skills compared to my peers. And that's kind of when the struggle really started. And so I went to my teacher, I did extra tutoring, went to office hours and tried to get that extra support. But when I even got to high uh, college, I found again that like I was just like severely underperforming in comparison to my peers. Often the message I heard was, you're a math major, like, why can't you do this? And I think a lot of those beliefs I internalized about myself and about who I was as a math person and as a student, I know what it feels like to be deprived of something and that something is an education and that it was like to no fault of my own, right? You know, the reason I stay in education is because our students have a right to a high quality education that is rigorous, that is equitable, grade level appropriate and engaging. That's like really commendable that you almost took that on as a challenge. And so then how long did you teach and how long have you been a coach and what has that transition been like? So I taught math for six years at the Henderson K-12 Inclusion School in Boston. I first started off teaching sixth grade math, and then I made the switch to high school math, which I absolutely love. Like high schoolers are amazing. They're at a really cool place in their educational journey. And so from there, from teaching high school, I applied to be a math transformation coach in Boston. And I didn't think I would get the job. I was just like, let me throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. And then I got a job doing math coaching at Madison Park, which I've been doing for the past year. What are some of the like biggest shifts that you've had to make as like a teacher to a coach? As a teacher, you're keyed into your students and pedagogy and teaching. What are the best practices? What are the things to like say or the questions to ask? And how can we provide access? And then like, how do we use like assessment data to kind of inform our practice? That was like a major focus of my teaching. And then as I became a coach, it really shifted to being like, how can I do that with teachers? 
right? Or how can I build this culture of data and growth with teachers? So one of the reasons we invited you onto the podcast is because of your expertise and interest around data and assessment. So when did you develop that? How did that come to be? If I think back to my K-12 education journey, like I didn't like assessments, like who (laughs) likes assessments, right? Especially like, as I described earlier, like I didn't do well in school. I really struggled. Like math did not come easily to me. And so every time I got a problem set back or an assessment back or an exam, I often internalized this deficit mindset about myself and it created these beliefs about who I was as a learner and more specifically as a math student and they just weren't true cat you know like they yeah. that that wasn't who I was that was the narrative that I was feeding into and it just wasn't true and so when I became a teacher I really dove into the data and that was also something that was built into the culture of the school that I was teaching at and so we did you know, quarterly interim assessments that were like standards aligned. So we'd give students assessments four times a year and we'd get together as a math team and we'd analyze that data, right? And we'd see like how students did on particular state standards. And let me tell you, like that was really hard for me to look at the data at the beginning because teachers work so incredibly hard and we are so committed to what we're doing. And we come early, we stay late, and we're always refining our problems, our worksheets, our tasks so that they could be better for our kids. And then to see that data and see like, oh, well, I taught this thing and kids didn't learn it. It's really heartbreaking. That circles back to that deficit mindset I had about myself when I was in school, where it's like, I didn't do this correctly, or I failed, right? And I think once I was able to see past that, that like, this is just what the data is, right? It's a 30%, it's a 40%, sometimes it's lower, sometimes a little bit higher. But like when I was able to really look at it through an objective lens and be like, okay, well, I did something, it didn't work or it didn't produce the outcomes that I wanted it to. So I'm going to try again. Having done that multiple times for six years, I really felt like, okay, whatever the data says, the data says, right? Because at its core, like data is just information. And as teachers, we need multiple sources of information to inform our teaching. An assessment, a test, a project, a task, that's just one piece of information. That's just one piece of data amongst all of the different pieces of data that we have in education. And so as a coach, I really try to tell teachers that like, I'm not going to judge you based on your data, whether your data is 20% or if it's 90%, you can always expect me to be like, okay, what are the wins in our data? Because there's always something to celebrate. There's always something like a bright spot that we can pull from it. And for the areas we didn't do as well on, what could we do differently? That's been my work this year at Madison Park, just figuring out what does the data say? What information do we have and what can we do differently about it? That's so fascinating because often when I've worked with teachers, there is this hesitancy around data and like, what is the narrative that it's saying? And you're right. They totally internalize it. What is the narrative it's saying about me rather than about the situation, about what was successful, what didn't work. And I've also found that it feels like data is something or assessment is something that's done to teachers. And so I love that you're working with teachers and thinking about like how to really empower them with information and like helping to reframe that conversation. Was there a moment when you realized, oh, I'm good at this? One thing that was important for me 
were those bright spots. We need those, not just in teaching, but in life, right? Okay. We need those moments <laughs> where we're like, okay, I, I'm on the right track here. Like maybe everything else is kind of falling apart. But like I did this one thing really well. And I think that's really validating and that's really affirming. And I think like we as teachers need that to see that like, okay, well, I did do this right And like, there's always going to be that in the data. One thing about data is that it's very taboo. Like we don't like to look at it because even though there might be those bright spots, there's also those other spots that we don't really want to look at. And I think oftentimes we look at data in this good, bad binary that either the data is really good, which means I'm a good teacher or the data is really bad and I'm a bad teacher. And I think that black and white thinking has to turn gray. You know, the data is going to be what it's going to be based on our instruction. And it's about what we do about it, right? It's about how we take it. And then also just recognizing, like, I remember one of the first few years I had some assessment data and on one standard, students scored 60%, 60% mastery. And I was like, okay, okay, Valkyran, like you got something there. And like, there were other areas that I needed to focus on. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on that because as a teacher, I'm still learning the standards. I'm still learning about what rigor looks like, what cognitively demanding looks like, how to provide access and language supports. There's so many complexities built into teaching that like I had to extend myself grace and say like, okay, I'm still figuring a lot of those out. And I also had the mindset of wanting to figure those things out. And so knowing like, okay, I did something right. And there's also a lot of other things I need to work on. So let me just work on those things. So one thing that we hear a lot is that teachers are hesitant to claim ownership over the word expert or like even declaring I have expertise in something. Do you feel that way? Would you say like I'm an expert at assessment and data? It's all about what you do with the data. I think that really differentiates. I hesitate to say it, but like the experts and the people who are like just not using the data for the thing that it's intended to do, we need to really look critically at our teaching practices. And sometimes there are teachers who think like, I am an expert at this. And therefore they're continuing to use those practices that are not serving students or they're not equitable, right? And so there's that part of it. And then there are other teachers, they are doing the things, they're looking at their data, they're thinking critically about their instruction and they don't see themselves as experts. But like, that's what it means to be an expert, right? It doesn't mean 100%. If you're looking at an assessment data, it doesn't mean like mastery. To me, what expert means is you're willing to do that work. You're willing to look at that data and think critically about yourselves. Like there's nothing wrong with the student, right? And if we're really truly going to be anti-racist in our thinking, we know Kendi writes about, Ibram Kendi writes about this, that like to be anti-racist is to believe there is nothing wrong with a group of people. And I think if we apply that to education, when we get assessment data, we really have to shift our thinking and thinking like, there is nothing wrong with students because they didn't learn this. We have to look at ourselves as teachers and say, okay, I taught it, maybe not in the best way, right? Because I have this data that shows students didn't learn it. So what am I going to do differently? And I think if you're able to do that, then that's what makes you an expert in teaching. Like, can you look critically at your own practice? And again, like, that's really hard. Change is really hard. And there's a lot of feelings that come up. Like, am I going to fail? Am I going to do this? And then again, we internalize those beliefs. So I think the teachers who are able to like, look, critically at themselves and their instruction and their teaching, like they are the experts because ultimately that serves students. And that goes back to 
why I stay in education, right? Because our kids deserve a high quality education. And so I think my ability to look at data objectively, pull out those wins and say, okay, those are the wins. Let's leverage that. And let's think about what we could do differently for the other areas. And if that ultimately makes a shift in student achievement and changes in student outcomes, then yeah, I'll say, (laughs) I'll say that's expert. I think it's interesting because what I hear you kind of also like teasing out there is like the difference between expertise and perfection, right? Like that somehow if you're an expert, that means you have all of the answers or you're always getting everything right and your data looks perfect. Whereas like, I wonder if you would say that you could be an expert, but an expert almost in practice and approach and not necessarily solely based on outcomes. Yeah, exactly. I think like what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't have to be perfect data. You don't have to have 80, 90, 100% on that assessment or that data for mastery in order to consider yourself an expert, but you need to be accountable for those outcomes. And you need to hold yourself accountable because our kids deserve that. They deserve a high quality education. I'm curious if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about what it means to be a teacher, what would that be? There's so much judgment in being a teacher. I think there's so much judgment in the world, (laughs) but I think that's what I would change because I ultimately think that that judgment leads to unproductive behaviors and not only for teachers, but for students as well. I think the way that we've traditionally approached assessment and data has really left us in this deficit mindset when it comes to students and for teachers, right? Like, okay, students don't know this because they scored X percent on an assessment. And that means teachers don't know this or they don't have the right practices because their students didn't perform. And again, like we internalize that and we create these beliefs about ourselves that are just not true. I would do everything I can to take that away. That's been my work as a coach around like, That's why I say, like, I'm not going to judge you based on whether the data is 10% or 90%. You can always expect me to say, like, what are the wins? Where are the areas we need to grow? And what are we going to do differently? Let's make a game plan and let's create an action plan. And I think that judgment is just, like, really harmful for teachers and often gets us stuck. Are there intersections between assessment and data and what it means to have more culturally responsive teaching practices or bring like more of an equity lens into teaching? As educators, we have to look at data through an anti-racist lens. Oftentimes, because we see data as either good or bad or in that good, bad binary, if we see it as bad and then we don't do anything about it, I think that could be really harmful for kids, right? And again, like at its core, data is just information. Being critical consumers of our data and our assessments, recognizing that any assessment, any lesson, any task has bias, recognizing that and bringing that in really helps to create more equitable outcomes for kids. And I think if we're thinking about how to be an anti-racist practitioner, a teacher who is focused on equity and culturally responsive instruction, it's important that we look at the data, acknowledge that there is bias in that data, and also still hold ourselves accountable to that data and what the results show us. Because again, that data is just information, right? And we have so many different pieces of information as educators looking at this one particular piece of information and thinking about, okay, look, what can I do differently? And how can that 
further promote equity for my students? And how can that ensure that like I'm moving towards more culturally responsive practices? So as we look ahead to next year, you know, we are on the verge of a return to normal. I'll put that in air quotes for our listeners. How do you feel about that? I'm definitely excited to be back in school. A lot of the people I've worked with for the past year, I haven't seen them in person. And so I'm excited to be back in in buildings. And I know students are also excited to like see their peers. Teachers are excited to like be back with their students. And I think this pandemic has really gave us the opportunity to rethink what normal is. There is a lot of emphasis now on like assessments and data and trying to quantify the learning loss, which I'll also put in air quotes, we can't just default to what our normal was before. And we're also kind of navigating this new path for everyone. And so I think using assessment, using data in productive ways, right? Like going back to like data is just information and trying to break that mindset of it being taboo, something that we don't talk about, something that we don't want to look at, something that gives us anxiety. I think if we can like break that cycle and look at the data for what it is, just information, then we could create this normal that is more equitable and more supporting of all of our students. So now we're gonna turn the tables and let our guest do the asking. So Christina, what would you like to know more about the teacher collaborative or even my background? I'm curious, you know, we talked a lot about an asset-based approach to assessments and data. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the Department of Education is kind of supporting that work for looking at data objectively and through an asset-based lens and how my educational policy impact that. Before coming to work at the Teacher Collaborative, I worked for five years at the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, so DESI, as everyone calls it. And there I was on the educator effectiveness team. So we didn't deal directly in assessment, though I will say when I was there, I was part of the educator evaluation team. And so that was when, you know, under Race to the Top, a lot of new state regulations around evaluation were coming out. And that then had like really deep implications for assessment and data and how they were used particularly to rate teachers, right? To evaluate teacher practice. One thing that just really stands out from my time at DESE is how how much more power teachers often think DESE has, often at the detriment of teachers not recognizing their own power. So for example, through educator evaluation, there were district-determined measures. So these were districts deciding what assessments would be used to feed into an educator's evaluation rating. But there was a ton of leeway for districts with educator input to decide what were those assessments, like what is the data that would be most valuable based on a teacher's role, right? Like, is that MCAS if they're like in an MCAS tested subject and grade? Or is it a more teacher-developed, district-developed assessment tool? And I think one thing that was overlooked was like teachers' voices in those conversations. And, And I get it. It was also part of a lot of other initiatives. As always, I'm sure it felt rushed and overwhelming. And so I think in some ways it became more of a like check the box exercise 
rather than like a really valuable conversation about, well, what data are we currently collecting about how kids are learning and what they're achieving and what their needs are and how can we use that to inform our district policies around evaluation and what's going into that. So that's probably one example that I was most closely involved with during my time there. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for joining today. Thank you, Kat. I'm really glad that we chatted about this. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. You can learn more about the programming we offer by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media, at The Teacher Collab. That's collab with one L. And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guest and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy. Thanks, as always, to teacher Ben Truboff for our theme music, The Dusty Pencil Sharpener. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. And thanks to our amazing producer, Robert Scaramuccia, for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast, even over Zoom.